the comments and the people that are watching the viewers, the subscribers, and the feedback that I get from there is a huge driver. I'll have people who are in hospitals waiting for a baby. It's the biggest, one of the biggest moments in their lives. And here they are watching my videos. And they'll say that like, dude, we're about like an hour away, man. I'm just reviewing some of the tips that you had in your channel. I'm like, what are you doing watching me on YouTube? Welcome to Keep Going, a podcast from Azuma that shares motivational stories from small business owners. I'm Greg. And I'm Ben. And we're your hosts for this episode. Today, we're talking with Andrew, a freelance videographer and content producer and the owner of Adverb. Andrew, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me, guys. It's good to be with you, Andrew. So you've had an interesting life growing up, it sounds like. Your stepdad was in the military, is that right? You moved around a lot? Yeah, I bounced around. Uh, I was originally from the New York, New Jersey area, and I never really got to settle anywhere as a kid. I was in the Northeast and then moved down to uh, Puerto Rico for a little bit. Wish I kept more Spanish, but I didn't. It's embarrassing. Then moved up to the Washington, D.C. area, finished out high school there, went off to college in Utah, started my career back in New York, and then now I'm here in Texas. So I've never really got to settle in a place. Every time someone asks me where I'm from, it's it's a hard question. I just say New York. That's where the sports teams I root for, which is... um, I live a very sad sports life too. Hey, coming from a Seahawks fan my whole life, I can uh, appreciate that. <laughs> well, that's good. So based on your experience, what led you to, or have you always just wanted to be in the videography business? No, I didn't know that I wanted to be a videographer. When I was a kid, I played with Legos a lot. So I thought that I wanted to be a civil engineer. I always did have a knack for just the creative sense. I vividly remember like when I was, a kid, I'd be playing with action figures, Power Rangers, Pokemon. In my head, I felt like I was in a helicopter recording a movie, like filming. So I would be getting camera angles. I'd be getting low to the ground and I would be making these sound effects in my head and basically editing a movie in my head as like a six-year-old. So I always knew that I had an interest in that, but that was never a real job, according to my parents. So I was like, <laughs> you know what? Engineering is close enough. I could be creative in that world. So that's where I initially put my focus when I went to, off to college. It did not work out. <laughs> <laughs> just didn't stick with your personality and interests and passions? No, I just wasn't good enough at math. <laughs> I was really, really good at AutoCAD and like designing the buildings and making it look good. When it came to like, well, will it stand up? Like, well, I don't care if it stands or not. It looks amazing. Like, look at this. So I quickly realized like I did not care about the statics or dynamics or those classes that I was in about how the structure and the math that goes behind it. I was just like, I just want to make it look good. So little by little, I was able to find my way toward the advertising program at BYU or Brigham Young University, which is the college I went to. That ended up being the best thing ever for me because I was able to channel my creativity in a way that I could earn money as well, you know? <laughs> so that was kind of where it all started for me and kind of the transition. So when you changed from civil engineering into advertising and eventually into the what you're doing now, did you get any sort of pushback or resistance on that? Or what were some of the obstacles you had trying to get going in this field? I have a Chinese dad. 
and Chinese, you know, we're good at math. We're all nurses and doctors, you know, like that's it as those are the traditional, you know, racial stereotypes or whatever. I'm like, I'm just not that guy, dad. I'm sorry. Um, and then I also had to have a Puerto Rican mom who grew up not poor, poor, but you know, not with everything. So obviously they want the best for their kids. They both came to the U S really with nothing. They naturally want to see their child flourish in a job that's traditionally deemed high quality, you know, a lawyer, doctor, engineer, which is where I was kind of initially leaning to. Yeah, there was certainly some pushback there whenever I was saying, you know, I really don't think that, you know, engineering is is for me. I was initially thinking like business, that sounds appropriate, right? That's white collar enough for you. (laughs) But, you know, when I went to advertising, they're like, I just, I don't get that. And the only thing that really made my dad accept it at the time was there was a show, Mad Men, that was huge. And my dad was like, so this is it. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're doing. And I was like, I'm not going to drink whiskey and beat women during my job. <laughs> but I, yes, advertising, I will write ad copy and make commercials. So my dad's like, okay. Okay. So your dad finally buys off on the idea of you going into the advertising industry. Obviously, that's not where you ended up. Yeah. I, so I started off my career in advertising. I went to BYU through the advertising program. Within the advertising program, there's two tracks, the management track, the creative track. Got into the management track, finished it, applied to be in the creative track. I got in. Within there, you can choose to either be an art director or a copywriter. It's since kind of branched, but I went into the copywriting realm. I basically put off my graduation for a year so I can finish the creative track. was able to intern in Manhattan for an agency called the Geppetto Group. It's now called uh, Ogilvy Youth. That's kind of where I got my start after BYU. After I graduated, I went straight back to New York for an ad agency called Firstborn. They were a digital ad agency, primarily focused on digital experiences, website development, that kind of stuff. So I was copywriting for a lot of different brands. PlayStation was my main account. So at the time, it was like the PlayStation 3. I wrote for Aflac, PepsiCo. And then I just wasn't really like good as a writer, I found out, which was a harsh reality. So I got in contact with a headhunter and I just got to get better. Maybe I'm not good enough for New York. I don't know. I was watching a show called Friday Night Lights at the time. And I was like, the idea of Texas sounds amazing. You know, so <laughs> I, uh, the headhunter said, hey, I'll put your portfolio out to agencies over in Dallas. I'm like, sure. Quickly was able to get an interview and a job out here in Dallas, moved here in 2012, continued my journey as a copywriter only to be told hey, you're a good writer. You're not great. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm aware of this. (laughs) Um, But my creative director, instead of just kind of like abandoning and saying, you're just not good, figure something else out. They noticed I was good at video editing because that's something that I did just for fun when I was in college at BYU. I liked making videos. I put a couple random things up on YouTube. And when I was in New York, I made just like short form micro documentaries of like little travel vlogs. And then when I was in Texas, they would need a couple little testimonial videos or just small little things to put on their Facebook page. When they asked the agency for that work, they're like, Andrew, you know how to edit, right? I'm like, yeah. So I would edit stuff and they were like, it was great. For video at the time, agencies would charge thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And they would outsourced that stuff. But they had a guy, they had me in-house just doing it for nothing. My base salary was under 40 at the time. (laughs) And so little by little, they just fed me more and more video work. And that's when I had that harsh reality of like, hey, you're not really cut out for like 
amazing copywriting. You're not. But I'll tell you, you are cut out for editing. So let's transition you is just change your whole role to production editor and you're going to stop writing and we're just going to give you all editing stuff. We have put off a bunch of our clients editing content, but let's just give you stuff to edit. So from there, I just went on an editing rampage. It was hard because I went to school for copywriting. So for months, I would work after work. I would go to work and then after I would just consume as much YouTube content as I can from like these 13-year-old German kids being like, here's how you edit video. I'm like, this is this is amazing. Right. So, and that's how I learned After Effects. I, I graduated from BYU, but I also graduated from like YouTube University. Yeah. Like that's where I consume so much stuff. And majority of the stuff that I do now to this day was not stuff I learned in college. It was stuff I learned side hustling, work after work. And it's stuff that I learn on YouTube and it's all self-taught. Wow. So, um, cool. yeah, that, that was kind of my journey. And then from there, I got hired on as an editor by Fossil. They make watches and bags and all that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. They're based out of here in Dallas. They hired me on as a production editor on their team because I got frustrated at my ad agency because they said, hey, the work is good. The work is good. But at some point, I'm like, you guys can't teach me anything anymore. I need to learn. I need to learn. I need to learn about more cameras and lenses and there just wasn't enough budget or experience on their end to teach me. So my learning stalled. I went off to Fossil and that's where I feel like I really grew. And then, yeah, I kind of bounced around a couple of different companies as in-house production. And now I freelance full-time that's and great. I do YouTube content. Sorry, that's a long tale. <laughs> no, it's great to hear the amount of effort and what you've done is really illustrated the amount of time and dedication and effort that you put into your craft and into your trade and figuring it out on your own. And that's super impressive. Yeah, I think the number that I heard is you need 10,000 hours to become a master of something. And I feel like I'm pretty sure I hit that 10,000 hour mark and I still feel like I'm a sophomore year of my contract. You know, like (laughs) I I still feel like there's so much to learn. That's another thing that seems like it's going to just be a factor in your life forever, right? It's because of your perspective and your attitude that the learning's never going to end. Your journey is one of courage to just pursue what you felt good about, even though your parents didn't really see it for you. You just have this courage to pivot, change, learn, keep learning. And that's seems like that's what led you to success. And I had to have, face that, that conversation again, because you know when I bounced around as in-house production for a bunch of different companies, and it got to a point where I had a, a YouTube channel on the side, that was like another sink or swim moment. And we were like, do I want to create YouTube content full time as like a job. <laughs> my parents were very proud, you know, I was like, oh wow, you're you know, you're you're doing great. You're creating content for like big brands. But now <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a YouTuber. Is that is that a profession? <laughs> so my parents are like, what? But they had fun coming to realization moments about how strong that platform could be for people and the content they create there. And uh, just reading the comments on the on those videos, my parents were like, oh my gosh. It's cool what you do. Are you producing videos for your own YouTube channel or are other people asking you to help them with theirs? So right now I produce content for my YouTube channel. It's called Dadverb. Dadverb is a content creation site. Um, and it, it, we mostly just talk about parenting from the perspective of a dad. There's so many good resources out there for moms and there's just not enough out there for dads. It's an underserved market. so. My goal is to help empower and motivate guys to be active parts of the family with the content that we create through videos and reviews uh, on the channel. 
Well, Andrew, that's a cool story and kind of work history. We're always interested in people's kind of pivot point where they decided to make the jump from working from somebody to, hey, I can do do this on my own. Tell us about your experience in, in making that decision and, and what that was like. So I think the major jumping point for me was when I was working for Fossil at the time. And I was like, you know what? I feel like I should be earning more money. And at the time, more and more companies were wanting video content. And I had a buddy that I played basketball with. He was a photographer. And he had a client in the American Heart Association. And he's like, dude, hey, I'm doing a photo shoot for them, but they want video. Do you think you can freelance? And I was like, sure. So they put me in contact with them. And they're like, yeah, you know, we don't really have a big, big budget. And I was like, oh, this is going to be like a $100 thing, but whatever. She's like, yeah, it's, it's really just a moderate small budget, but I hope you can work with it. It's about like $7,000. And, and that for me at the time, I was like, what the F? Like, yes, this is amazing. I'll do anything. Didn't realize down the line that I have to use that 20, 30K, not for myself. I have to pay a production team. So I'm only netting a small amount of that. But yeah, that's where I kind of started. I'm like, oh, I could do this on my own. So Andrew, as you get going on your new business, as all new business owners do, there's always obstacles to overcome. What were some of those obstacles for you? If YouTube went down right now, do I still have a business? And, and that's something that you know a lot of content creators might grapple with. If your Instagram account just got deleted right now, or your TikTok account got deleted right now, do you still have a business? Are you, an actually, are you actually a business owner? So how are you diversifying your income streams? And that's still something that I, you know, I'm working towards. So like, you know, a lot of the videos that we're uploading now, it's like, you know, we're teasing a course that we've made for, for new dads, which is basically a replacement of baby books. We've designed that course for new dads so that, you know, if YouTube goes down, it's all right, we still got a course to sell. In addition to that, I'm often able to negotiate a way to be like, hey, in addition to the YouTube content, if you guys just need social content that isn't affiliated with that, or me as a freelancer making videos for you, if you want, I can cut that stuff together and sell it in as well. So in a way, I still have to juggle the YouTuber side of me, which I don't like that phrase. I don't like the phrase influencer, but I don't, I don't know a better yeah, way to yeah. uh, video content creator. I balance that world with my ability to freelance and create content for you to use and leverage on your own social platforms. And that's something that I still do, but it's also something I struggle with because it's like, I have to find the time to be able to do that. And I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I want to hire someone to help me, an editor or some sort of a producer, but then I need the money to pay the bills and I need to pay that person, but I really need that person to help me so I can make more money. So it's like this vicious cycle. I need to hire people. I can't afford the people, but if I could afford the people, I'd make more money. But right now I can't afford that person. So it's like, (laughs) that's, I think the biggest struggle, like I need help. There's money on the table and I want to get it, but it's hard for me to make that investment in the help. I also have trust issues. I also (laughs) (laughs) are you going to be good enough? So I think that's something that everyone struggles with. You know, how do you train a VA properly? How do you train your specific help properly? I don't know that I'm a good trainer. I'm really good at working solo. I don't know if I'm a good trainer. I think a lot of business owners struggle with that. Everyone wants to be a a one, but are you a one? You could be a really good three or four and be great in life. You're not everyone has to be a one, you know, and that's why I struggle with like. Am I a one? Like, I don't know. I feel like I need to be though. <laughs> so. Well, it sounds like you do have a business because those are the those are business those are, questions. Yeah, yeah, common business questions. And you're obviously approaching another pivot point. Whether you decide to bring on an additional person or decide to stay solo, 
that's a decision that's going to impact you going forward for sure. But you could really inspire somebody. I'm thinking back to some of our experiences. Some of the most scary but best things we ever did for our business was hire the person we couldn't afford at the time because they brought so much more strength and support to the business that we couldn't even really comprehend was there. Without them, we would have been stuck in this paradigm of only working with the resources we had. But with them, they drained our bank account, but they opened up the future. And so good luck with deciding what to do with that decision yourself. There's a book that I read called The E-Myth. And something that really stuck out at me was like for entrepreneurs who really want to start a business. It's interesting because I think in the book, you want to sell pies. So you start a business selling pies, but then you realize that like, you have to be a marketer. You also have to be accountant. And then you realize that like only 10% of your job is selling pies and doing what you want to do. The rest is like managing a business. And I think that's kind of the, the thing that I'm hitting right now. You know, it's like insurance is so expensive. Like, why is it so expensive? Why are there no good options for like self-employed people, for entrepreneurs? Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that we're grappling with right now. It's a cost right there. Then as a creative, our work is sometimes so subjective. It's in a way art. And you, sometimes you feel like an imposter syndrome. Like I'm creating content for like dads and parents or whatever. But sometimes I'm like, why am I qualified to talk about this? Am I good <laughs> enough? Like, what am I? I and then there are other times like, of course I am the greatest ever. Listen to me. So like you have these like big swings, especially as a creative of like, I'm valid, I'm good. And then next day it's like, ah, self-doubt. Like what's happening? I'm poor. Like this is worthless. So it's an ever, it's a never ending ebb and flow of emotions. (laughs) The more time you get behind you, the less steep and deep those mountains and valleys are. They don't go away, but they they just settle out a little bit. Right. (laughs) Definitely. Cool. Well, Andrew... We always like to end our podcast sessions with our kind of golden question that we feel like is meaningful to entrepreneurs like yourself. What is it that despite all the the challenges you've described and the things you've had to overcome, what is it that keeps you going every day in your business? Because of the nature of the content that I create and the amount of people that watch it, and I I still consider myself to be a pretty small mid-size video creator, the comments and the people that are watching the viewers, the subscribers, and the feedback that I get from there is a huge driver. I'll have people who are in hospitals waiting for a baby. It's a biggest, one of the biggest moments in their lives. And here they are watching my videos. And they'll say that like, dude, we're about like an hour away, man. I'm just reviewing some of the tips that you had in your channel. I'm like, what are you doing watching me on YouTube? <laughs> the impact that I could have is so exciting. It's just cool that people are willing to watch, listen, and take my advice. And from a guy who's still learning, that is a big motivator. And Wonderful. That's great. Well, thanks so much, Andrew, for being with us today. Really good to have you. Thank you so much for having us. It was a pleasure talking with you both. Thank you listeners for joining us today. If you or someone you know would like to share your small business story, please go to mazumausa.com slash keep going and fill out the form at the bottom of the page. And if you are looking for tax advice for your small business, be sure to join our Keep Going Facebook group and check out our website at mazumausa.com. I don't know if you can have nice furniture when you ever have kids in the house. 
last night, my eight-year-old and my 11-year-old were wrestling. My 11-year-old body slammed my eight-year-old on the couch and busted the arm of it off. We just bought a brand new couch for our basement. So, oh no whether, way! Whether they're a baby putting stains on the on the couch or whether they're older, you know, doing some WWE moves, they're they're going to destroy whatever you have. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Seriously, so true. And now we've got all these like beautiful furniture and all these like inspirational things. Like I want that nice furniture, but boy, it's just not sustainable. Uh, for yeah. me to keep it nice and clean. 